morning, I'm going to continue my non-series series. And uh, started on Father's Day talking about heroes and so forth. And in preparation for that, I began to read about uh, our heroes of the faith that we have in the Old Testament. And so, you know, last week uh, we talked about Jobez and and uh, how God used him for his purposes and for his glory. And, and so I want to kind of continue that theme today and we're going to talk about another uh, Old Testament individual. But before we get to that, I want us to turn, uh, look at a scripture in Ephesians, the second chapter in the 10th verse. And in this verse, it tells us that we are God's masterpiece. This morning I'm going to be uh, basically using uh, the NIV Bible, um, but this scripture comes from the New Living Translation. And uh, God calls us a masterpiece. He says that you're my masterpiece. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a masterpiece. But you know, how often do we really believe that? But we need to believe what the Word of God says about us. It tells us in Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You know, <clears throat> God's never taken by surprise. What He wants to do in your life was part of the plan long ago. And he wants to carry out that plan. And he's made you this masterpiece. He's given you and I the gifts, the talents that we have. He's given them to us for a purpose. It isn't just simply so that we can waste it on the things of this world. But so it can be used for his glory, for his purpose. In, in, in Ephesians, still in Ephesians, but in the third chapter, in the 20th verse, it says, He, God, is able to do immeasurable immeasurable, more than we could ask or imagine according to his power. God is able to do immeasurable. That means you can't measure it. He's able to do immeasurable, more than we could ask or imagine according to his, par his power. Note, according to his power. It's his power. It's not my power. It's not your power. It's not our power. It's his power. And according to the word, his word, which is within us. And so where is his power? His power is within. And oftentimes when we, 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 we enter into crisis or we have a difficulty or something seems too hard, we begin to look at, at all the surfacey things. We begin to look at everything out there rather than focus our attention on the inside where he is where he wants to work, where he wants to accomplish something in each of our lives. God wants to do something with each of our lives. He wants to do something in our lives that'll live beyond us. It'll go beyond us. But you know, if, it, if we depend just simply upon ourselves, when we're gone, it's gone. That's as far as it's going to go. He wants to do something beyond our own ability. He wants to place us in that position where he's the one that does it in us and he does it through us, whatever it might be. 
I mean, I'm talking, I'm not talking here about just being spiritual and, and just some deep ministry or whatever it is. I'm talking about in our everyday life. God wants to work in our everyday lives. He wants to manifest his power in and through each and every one of us. And so we read that verse, his power within us. It's his power and it's within each and every one of us. He wants to work it in us and he wants to work it through us. He wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this earth, but he's going to do it through us and in us. And the interesting thing is he needs us as his vessels. We oftentimes think, well, God doesn't need us. Well, he does need us. He needs our hands. He needs our feet. He needs us to be obedient, to do the things that he's called us to do, to be able to accomplish his plan here on the earth. So what I want to talk with you about today, you can turn over in your Bibles to Judges, the sixth chapter. I'll give you a heads up on that because if your Bible's like mine, it's probably not just going to fall open to that. But in Judges, the sixth chapter, it begins to talk about an individual, this guy called Gideon. And as we go through this, one of the things that we're going to find out about Gideon is that he is a nobody. He was insignificant. As you look at his life, uh, the... He was, he was, like so many of us, he was just trying to make ends meet. He was just trying to struggle through life. He was the youngest member of the weakest family of the smallest tribe of Israel. The only thing that's really very remarkable about Gideon is how unremarkable he really was. Because he really doesn't demonstrate an individual, his life, of somebody that we would categorize as a hero. As somebody that God, in just a few moments, we're going to look at, and God says he is a warrior, a mighty warrior. We don't see him from that standpoint. You know, so, so when the story begins, we find Gideon... And he's, he's not out preparing for war. He's not sharpening his sword or, or any of those things, trying to get together the war party to go out and, and conquer for God. We find him hiding. He's hiding. Later on, we find out that here's an individual that defeated an army of 135,000 people. And he did it with... 300 folk. But you know, that's not what we're really going to talk about. There's three things that I want us to talk about this morning. Number one, the things that we're not going to talk about, that when you read it, that's what we hear most of the time. We hear about Gideon and the fleece. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about the fact that Gideon was able to defeat a, an army of 135,000 with some 300 men. Uh, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about an individual and we're going to look at what was it that ultimately brought this nobody to a point to where he is a somebody. Where God was able to use him uh, to accomplish great things for his purpose. So the three things that we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at Gideon's call. 
We're going to talk about Gideon's sacrifice. And then we're going to talk about Gideon's anointing. Because if we don't understand these three things about Gideon, what we see about Gideon isn't going to do us any good at all. You know, one of the things about when we're looking through the Old Testament, when we're studying the Old Testament, there's two things that we, we look at that we need to be aware of. Because we're looking at a historical passage. And so we look at the historical part of it. But then the second part of it is, we look at it from the standpoint of what's the eternal truth that's being presented to us. Because, you know, there, there's things in the Old Testament. How many of you know the Bible is literal? When you read through the Bible, the events that took place, those events took place. You know, there's some today that say, uh, and they're preaching it from the pulpit, <clears throat> that there really wasn't a flood. Uh, that was just a story. That was just an analogy. That was just uh, figuratively something that was presented in the Bible to give us an understanding of something. They go over and over with all of these things. Well, call me what you want, but I believe it. I believe that there was an actual flood. I believe that there was an ark that was built by a man. I believe that, there, that his family was in that ark and God started over because of the wickedness of man. I believe literally, when we go through the Bible, the truths, uh, the historical elements that are presented to us, that it is true. But one of the things that we have to be able to understand is that everything that was, was revealed or everything that happened in the Old Testament and so on and so forth, even though it was truth, doesn't necessarily mean that we're supposed to put it into practice in our lives. You know, individuals say, you can make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. Not if you, not if you take it literal and not, not if you uh, interpret it according to its context. You know, and so we need to do that. But, but when we, we look at these truths, because the Bible says that these Old Testament individuals were given to us examples that we could look to. So there's something in their lives that have eternal value in it that we can draw from, that we can grow from. And that's what I want us to do with Gideon. Not just simply look at his failures and his, his successes, but to be able to look at Gideon and realize there is an eternal truth that is presented to us that if we take that truth and we apply it in our life, it can be beneficial in our service to God. And so that's what we want to look at when we begin to talk about Gideon. And so we're going to begin in Judges, the sixth chapter, and in the first verse. And like I said before, I'm going to be reading through the NIV today. I don't know, I think I'm doing it just to tick some people off. You know, because some people say you can only use certain translations. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm using a bunch of different translations because <clears throat> uh, I would rather have somebody reading something they can understand than reading something they can't understand. Amen. You know, <clears throat> it was brought up to me again. You know, it just irritates me. You know, there, there's individuals that go into the prison and they speak to these guys in prison. How many of you know guys in prison generally have problems? You know, and the problem is bigger than which translation of the Bible they're reading. The problem is they're not reading the Bible. 
And so this individual, you know, there, there's those that go in there and say, it's got to be, it's got to be the King James Version. Now, I, I like the King James Version. It's just difficult for me to read. And so I read something that I can read and understand what I'm reading. And they're, they're, what they say is it's got to be the King James Version because if you're not reading the King James Version, you're not reading the real Bible. Now this is my question. If it's got to be the King James Version, what do you do if you don't speak English? If you don't read English? Because the King James Version is King Jimmy's Version. And it was translated into English. And so... You don't have a King James Version in Spanish, in French. You can have a paraphrase of the King James Version in French and in Spanish, but it's not English. And so anyway, that, that's my pet peeve. And so if that ticks you off that that's my pet peeve, get over it. Because that's what I have to do. I just have to get over it. But we're talking about Gideon today. And I'm reading out of the NIV. And it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, <clears throat> there's something we need to understand here. And this, this, is, this is from the get-go. This is a little bit of the historical background of some of this. Notice how that version, that verse begins in the NIV. It begins with, again. <clears throat> now this, this is really deep, so you've got to hang in here with me. Again means, again. That means it's happened before, and here we go again. You ever said that? To your kids, you did it again. Well, that's what he's saying to, 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 in this, again. And again, what? The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we see this cycle with the children of Israel. They've been in the promised land now for 300 years. That means they've been in the promised land longer than the United States of America has been a nation. That's how long they've been in, in, in the promised land since they've come out of <clears throat> not just Egypt, but they've come out of the wilderness and they've come into the promised land for 300 years. 250 years, Joshua, the man that led them out of the wilderness into the promised land, he's been dead. The whole generation is gone. That whole generation is gone. And so what they're finding, what, what's happening is they're, they, they, they're serving God and then they begin to worship the idols of their culture. And so as they worship the idols of their culture, what happens is they're basically turned over to the idols of their, of their, uh, of their culture. In other words, they move away from God. They begin to serve this other stuff. And so what happens, a nation comes in and a nation takes over, a nation begins to control them and to dominate them, to rule over them. And so what do they do? They cry out to God. And so what does God do? God delivers them. Brings a man, brings deliverance into their life. And so they're serving God. What happens? After a period of time, they begin to worship the idols of their culture once again. 
You know what the biggest problem in our society is today? We're worshiping the idols of our culture. The idol of the culture isn't some, some thing that some individual puts on the mantle in their house. It's what's in here. And so what's happening, they begin to worship the idols of their culture. And here he says, for seven years, they've been controlled by the Midianites. Why? Because they turned from God and they began to worship the idols of their culture. And so then everything begins to fall apart. They, they begin to lose everything that they have. They, they begin to struggle and, and, and they feel like God has forsaken them. Guess what? God hasn't gone anyplace. God's not the one that moves. We move. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is there in our life just waiting for us. But what do we do? We get so busy with everything else, with, with the idols of this culture, that we no longer give him the attention that he's due. We cease worshiping God, and we begin to worship the things that are around us. And so this is where where Gideon is. He's a guy that's just trying to make ends meet. And what we see what happens here is these, these, these people from other lands, they come in and they, they don't just rule over them, they take everything. And that's where Gideon is. He's a guy that's just trying to make ends meet. And he's full of fear. Why? Because of, the, of what he's seen over the years. For the last seven years, He's been under the dominance, under the control of somebody, somebody else. And so I want to look at seven lessons in one that, we're gonna, that we can get from Gideon. And so I'm going to try to, I'm, I'm really going to try to get through this today. Hallelujah. You can never say, oh, please, Lord Jesus, help that man. Lesson number one, when you worship the gods of your culture, don't be surprised if God gives you over to the oppression of your culture. Now, it sounds vicious when I say that God turns you over to. But see, when we walk away from him, he's a gentleman. You know, you don't have to serve God if you don't want to. God has never made an individual get born again. God has never made an individual follow after him. That's why he created us as a free will agent so that we can choose to follow after God. But if we can choose to follow after God, that means that we can choose to walk away from God. Pretty foolish if we do that, I think. But that, that choice is ours. And so when we begin to follow the gods of this culture that we're a part of, what happens is the automatic thing that it does is it begins to pull us away from God. The things of God cease to be significant. You know, I've shared this before how, you know, for all those years that Jeff and Amy and, and, the, and the kids lived in Italy, you, you go to Europe, and we, we had the opportunity to see different countries in, Italy, in, in Europe and so forth. And the interesting thing is, here where the, the Reformation was born, the churches are empty. Why? Because they bought the culture 
of the land. They bought the culture of the world that they lived in. And it, it ceased to be part of their culture. And so you have these magnificent temples, these magnificent churches throughout all of Europe. And they're empty. You know, they, they, they show when they have a great wedding in, in England and so forth, and the place is packed with everybody that's there to see this wedding take place. But I'll tell you something, if you go there on a normal Sunday, you find just a couple of pews with a few people in it. That's how it is. Why? Because we've, we've worshipped the God of culture. It's what they've done in Europe. That's what we have to guard ourselves against. We've been talking about the generational transfer, how it's so important that the truth that we have, we pass it on to the generations that come after us. Because if we don't do that, we enter into that same cycle. Why is it that it seems like every few years there has to be a revival? Because we've bought into the lie of the culture. We've bought in and we begin to worship the culture of the day. And thank God by His Holy Spirit, He's been able to regenerate, regenerate us, bring life back into us. But that's not how He's intended for it to be. The intent of God is for us to grow on a continuous day basis, day in and day out. That those around us, that those that see us, that they see us live that life. They see the product, they see the fruit, they see the blessing of leading that life, and they choose to follow after. That's God's plan. It isn't that we have to have some massive crusade. Now, I'm not against massive crusades. But I don't believe that that's God's intent. His intent is for the generation to begin and it to go from the next to the next to the next to the next. And if I don't get going, we're not going to get past lesson one. Let's go to Judges 6, verse 2, and it says, Because of the power of, of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountains, the cliffs, the caves, and strongholds. In other words, they spent their life hiding from them because the Midianites were so wicked and so evil and so hard on them. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites the Aklanites and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaz and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents they, like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and the camels. They invaded the land in, and they, to uh, ravage it. Midian was impoverished with Israel, had so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. what they do? They cried out to the Lord for help. Why? Because the Midianites were taking everything from them. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of the Ophar, and that belonged to Joshash, the Abzanite something or other. There his son Gideon was thrashing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, 
The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. New Living Translation says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, mighty warrior. Gideon is thrashing wheat in the wine press. I don't know if you know this or not. You don't thrash wheat the wine press. You press wine. What's he doing? He's hiding from the Midianites, thrashing wheat and the wine press so that he can't be found. And here he is hiding. He's not preparing for war. He's hiding, crying out to God. And it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said, O mighty warrior, O hero. You know, we all know what it says in, in Romans. In Romans it says that God calls those things that be not as though they were. That's what he's doing. Gideon was not a mighty warrior in the natural, in his present condition. But God called him one. He called him what he was to be, what, how he saw him. And so the thing we need to understand about Gideon was he wasn't, he wasn't a churched individual. He didn't go to church every Sunday. He, he was, his family worshipped idols. They didn't worship the living God. How do you define yourself? See, Gideon, if he were to define himself, would have seen himself as weak. We're going to see here in a moment that he says he's, he's, he, he's insignificant. He's of the smallest tribe. He's of the weakest people. That's how he saw himself. That's how he defined himself. How are you going to define yourself? Are you going to define yourself according to what you feel, what you think, the circumstances around you? Or are you going to define yourself according to what God says about you? The first lesson that we see about Gideon is that, that God defined who he was. Now at this point, yet he's not accepting that. We've got to read on a little bit further for that. But it was God who defined who he was. God says, greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God says concerning me, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Now what am I going to believe? Am I going to believe what I feel or am I going to believe what I have been told, what God says about me? First lesson we need to learn is we need to allow God to define who we are. Lesson number two, don't ever tell God who you are not. Let God tell you who you are. Because God told Gideon that he was a mighty man of war. Again, in Romans 4.17, out of the NIV, it says, God gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. He said to Gideon, you're a warrior. Gideon wasn't willing to accept that. It says in the 13th verse, but sir, speaking of the angel, 
But sir, he's about to argue with the angel. He's about to tell him, you really don't know what you're talking about. You can say that over me, but you don't know me. And Gideon replies, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of, the, of Midian. But, but sir, so he's going to argue with him. Now it's an interesting thing here. The angel of the Lord is standing before him and he says, you've abandoned us. Obviously, he hasn't abandoned them. He's standing right there. And you know what? The same thing is true oftentimes in our lives. We say, Lord, why have you abandoned us? You know, I'm always amazed at people that get mad at God. Well, God's abandoned me. No, he hasn't. You've abandoned him. You haven't give him, given him the time of day. You haven't spoken a word to him. So we're the ones that abandoned him. It's not the other way around. Where are all these miracles? Where are all these things that we've heard about? And I think oftentimes in our culture, that's, that's where we are today. Where are all these things that we always hear about? Well, where are we? Where are we located? Are we in the position where he's willing to reveal it to us? Because look at here. All that the people did was they cried out to God because of their misery. And what did God do? He sent an angel of the Lord to bring a deliverer into their midst. Now the circumstances hadn't changed yet. But he was preparing. He was bringing a deliverer. Your circumstances may not have changed yet. But the deliverer is in your life. The key is, am I willing to acknowledge? Am I willing to recognize him? And see him for who he is. That he is my, my deliverer. Then he goes on into the 14th verse. Now it's interesting, he, he barely even responded to the idiotic statement that he made. You ever try to argue with somebody that God hasn't forsaken them? You won't succeed. All you can do is to go on and to continue to declare what God says in his word. Arguing will never solve the issue. The answer is turning your focus, turning your attention to him. And then in the 14th verse it says, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midianites' hands. Am I not sending you? Didn't even address his argument. He said, Go in the strength you have. You know, it's interesting. You can't go in the strength you don't have. Have you ever realized that? You can't, you can't, you can't, 
You can't do something in the strength you don't have. You can only do it in the strength that you have. Because the interesting thing is, when we go in the strength that we have, and of course, that's from God, but when we go in that strength, he's able to grant us the increase. <clears throat> but we want, we want all the ducks in the row. We want, we want the beginning from the end. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know that is true. We want it, we want it all planned out. We want, we want every step along the way. We want to know everything that we're going to do. That it, that it's, we, we want to know it. Because if we don't know it, we might have to step out in faith and trust God. But see, if I know all the details, if I know every step, then I can be in control of it. But if I don't know it, then I have, to, I have to put my trust in him. I remember the first time I was in one of our home fellowship meetings. This is uh, when I was still plumbing and so forth. One of the first meetings, charismatic meetings that I'd gone to. And <clears throat> the Holy Ghost gave me a word. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to, I'm trying to get that word. And I, I had like three words. I didn't have the word. I had like three words. And he spoke to my heart and he says, you got to say what you have. And so I was just ignorant enough to do it. And so I just opened my mouth and I began to speak and I had this long prophecy. Couldn't believe it. And everybody, come on, oh, that wasn't pastor then. It was Dave. That, that's good. That's good. You really did a good job there. I'm thinking, well, I have no idea where that came from. Do you know, <clears throat> you know when you know it was God? Is when you look back and you say, I don't know how that happened. I couldn't have possibly did that. I wasn't, it, that wasn't me. That was God. And you know what? That's where he wants us to be. He wants us to be in that place where we put our trust in him. And the problem is, we, we think that God's not with us. He's there. We just got to turn around. We just have to, we just have to turn around. You know, we talk a lot about repentance, and there's, there's people that, that make repentance such a deep subject, and it is a deep subject, by the way. But it's, repentance just simply means stop the direction that you're going and turn around. If you don't feel the presence of God, Stop going the direction that you're going and turn around. Because he's right there. He's never, he's never forsaken you. You know, he's there. And he wants to lead us. And he wants to use us to bring people out of bondage, out of destruction. Because we see that in our culture today. That people are in the vicious cycle. They go around and around and around and around. And I'm talking about Christians here. I'm not talking about the world. They have these issues in their life. But they keep going around and around. God's showing them what to do. They do it for a moment, but then they, they get distracted by the gods of this culture. And they allow the gods of this culture to dictate to them what they're going to do. And then when things get difficult again, what do we do? We cry out to God. And thank God he's faithful. 
Because every time that we cry out to him, he's there. He's never said, man, it's too late for you. Aren't you glad it's never too late? Aren't you glad that it doesn't forsake us because of our stupidity? He's always there. Lesson three. If God is sending you, then God is obviously confident that you're the person to do the job. If God is sending you, then God is obviously confident that you're the person that can get the job done. God couldn't, wouldn't call you to do something if he knew you were going to fail. I'm not going to go into it this morning, but you all remember my story of when God called me into the ministry in Ankeny, Iowa, little assemblies of God's church there. And that night after the call, I had a discussion with God. I informed him that he had made a mistake. There was absolutely nothing, there was absolutely no way I could possibly do that. He knew something. He knew that if he called me, he'd equip me. And that he would continue to equip me. That's the confidence that we need to have, is that if God has called us, if he's asking us to do something, we're able to do it. In Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter, the 4th verse, this is out of the Living Bible, it says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. I don't know about you, I can understand that. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Oftentimes, our greatest hindrance is we've waited for the perfect time. And the perfect time has never come. You must go in the strength you have. If he's shown you to do something, you go in the strength you have. There's this philosophy. You're it. It's known as the you're it in ministry, the philosophy. Well, that, that doesn't make any sense. God does. Means if you see something, you're it. It's amazing how often God will use us to answer the prayer that we're praying. If you see injustice, if you see something that needs to be done, you're it. Because you saw it. You know, over 39 years of ministry, it's always amazing to me how many people see things that I ought to do. <laughs> Amen. But I finally began to realize something. If God's showing you, it's probably something for you to do. You know, for what, almost 25 years now, we've had uh, our ministry in the prisons. People think that 
That began because I had this tremendous vision for the prisons. Now, I got to be honest, I'd thought about the prisons. But one day, Terry came into my office and he said, what would you think about going into the prisons? I says, I think that's a great idea. Why don't you check on that? You know what he did? He checked on it. Because he checked on it. Right now, we're in Fort Dodge and Rockwell City, each of those twice a week. But a few years ago, we were not only in Fort Dodge and Rockwell City, but we're in both of the institutions in, in Newton, the Correctional Facility and the Release Center, and we're in Mitchellville in the women's prison. What was the birth of that? My great vision? No, it's because God called some, spoke to somebody about it, and he did something about it. A lot of times we're waiting for somebody to do something when it's our job to do it. No, we see things that need to be done and we want to tell somebody else they need to do it. We need to do it. That's the philosophy. You're it. The philosophy in ministry. If you see something that needs to be done, it's probably you that's supposed to do something about it. Well, pastor, you're just trying to get out of work. Yes. Because I can only do what God's called me to do. But guess what? You can do what God's called you to do. And you'll be effective at it. I might get the job done, but it isn't just getting a job done. It's being effective in what we do. Because it's supposed to have eternal consequences that go along with it. And so we do it. You've heard me say this time and time again. God only has a plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. And so you may go around the mountain a few times, but he's eventually going to get us where we need to go or we're not going to get there. We need to follow his plan, do what he wants. But, but, Gideon had this issue. And it was the but issue. He had a really big but. We need to get rid of the but. But this, but that, but the other thing. But, 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 but. And we use it all the time. Well, I'd love to do that, but I don't have enough time. I'd love to do that, but I'm really not qualified. I'd love to do that, but. No, get rid of the, get rid of the but. Put on a girdle, do something. Get it under control. And fulfill the plan, the purpose of God. Gideon's but was, but I'm too weak. I'm not qualified. I don't have the talent. Every argument that you and I would ever use, Gideon used. God, you've got it wrong. That's the ultimate argument. He doesn't have it wrong. Lesson number four. This will shock you. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. God used a donkey. God can use a donkey. Guess what? He can use you and I. He's looking for availability. It, 
so this is the good news. You don't have to feel talented. You don't have to feel like you've got all this ability. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you know that God's called you to do something and you feel like you can't, you're in a good place. Because then you're going to rely upon Him. You're going to look to Him. You're not going to be just simply dependent upon self. God made you. God made you for a purpose. God wants to use you. God wants to fulfill His plan, His purpose in and through you. He says, just go in the strength that you have. Stop making excuses and become an every, everyday hero. You know, when we, we started this whole non-series on heroes, the point that I want to see, it, we're not talking about heroes that we see in Hollywood and in some movie. We're talking about in everyday individuals that do everyday things for the glory of God that bring Him glory, that, that draw others unto Him. It's not, the, it's not the miraculous things that sustain people. I know of people that have had these unbelievable miracles. Their life has been changed. They were, they were on the verge of total destruction. They were, there was no hope. They were declared by doctors. There's absolutely no hope. And God in His mercy and His grace, He restored them. But it didn't sustain them. Because that miracle for very, for, for, in a short period of time is in the background. You see, God wants to work through you and I miraculously every single day. Because when you get up every morning and you realize how marvelous and how miraculous your God is, you have it fresh every day. It isn't something that happened 15 years ago that you're relying on, that you're dependent upon. Because that begins to fade. I don't care how big it is. It begins to fade. Jesus needs to be real to us every moment of every day. We don't want to be as the children of Israel in the day of Gideon. Where they get excited about God because he brought in a deliverer and we're delivered from something. But then we fall back into the same pattern. We begin to worship the same culture that we worshiped before. No, we, we, we have to make that decision, and it's a decision that we've got to make on a regular basis. In 16, Joshua 6, 16, it says, The Lord answered and he said, I will be with you, and I will strike down all, and we will strike down all, all the Midianites together. I will be with you and we will do it together. You're never on your own. You may not feel his presence, but he's there. He's there because he's promised that he's there. And so it doesn't matter what battle, what fight, what you're up against. You're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it together. He's there as your helper. And he's promised that he's never going never gonna to fail you, never going to let you down.
Lesson number five. When you go in, his, in the strength you have, God will give you more strength as you go. When you go in the strength that you have, he'll give you more strength as you go. Gideon had to take the first step. You and I, we have to be willing to take that first step. We've got to be willing to recognize that I can trust in him, that he's not going to forsake me, that he's not going to let me down. You know, for Gideon, it was on the job training. God didn't say, now Gideon, I'm going to have you lead my army. And so I'm going to, I'm going to send you to military training for the next two years so that you can get established in the, the tactics of warfare. And then after you're done with that, because you're going to go to my people, you're going to be ministering to my people, I'm going to send you to seminary. And then after you're done with all that, then we'll send you out there. No, he said, go in the strength that you have right now. Now, I'm not opposed to military training. I'm not opposed to seminary. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. You have to start where you're at, not where you want to be. You've got to begin right where you're at, not where you want to be. I've had individuals, they've come to me and they've, they've said, Pastor, I feel called to the ministry. Now, <clears throat> if you know me very well, You've seen the history of this church. You know that I want people in the ministry. We've had a lot of people that have left this church that have gone into the ministry in one area or another. I'm not about to hold somebody back. But I've had individuals come to me and they've said, Pastor, I feel that I'm called to such and such. What do I need to do? I feel like I need to go to school. And I says, you know, you probably do. But you need to start where you're at. And they said, well, what do you mean by I need to start where I'm at? I says, you need to begin to be faithful. You need to begin to give your tithes. You need to begin to be involved in ministry and, and, and be there. You need to begin with these basic things because the schooling isn't going to do you any good if you don't have the foundation in your life. And let me tell you something. The foundation begins with the everyday simplistic things that God has directed us to do in His Word. If we're not willing to do that, guess what? When the other things come along, we won't make it. <clears throat> I told somebody this the other day. I don't know of a single preacher that failed in the ministry because they couldn't preach. You can always find somebody to listen to you. There's always somebody. All you have to do is listen to some, I won't go there. But you know why they've lost it? They've lost it in character. They've lost it in their ability to sustain. They've lost it in their ability to stand when everything around them seems to be falling apart. When you've done all to stand, stand therefore. We're talking about character issues here. We're talking about those things that sustain each and every one of us as a believer in Christ Jesus.
Those are the things that are going to sustain us. Those are the things that are going to carry us through to the end. Because I don't know about you. I don't want to be in the race. And just prior 10 yards before I get to the finish line, I'm done. I want to finish the race. I want to finish the race victoriously. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. We look at, his call, as, at, at this call in Gideon's life. He had this call. God called him to deliver his people. He trained them. He trained them on the job. But now what I want us to look at is the sacrifice. This is a subject that's never very exciting. Hallelujah. But Gideon had to be willing to make sacrifice in his life. It said that he had to sacrifice the altar to Baal, which is the culture. He had to tear it down. And from that which he tore down, he built a new altar unto God and made sacrifice on it. We've got to tear down the old altar. It isn't a matter of putting it in the basement. We tear it apart. We obliterate it. And if we need to, we need to use it as the fire for the sacrifice that we made unto God because that's what Gideon did. Lesson six, before God will use you in public. He wants you to clean up your private life. What qualifies us is what we do behind the doors, not in front of everybody. Jonah 2.8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about what it is. But you know what? There's so much more to the grace of God. We need to get rid of those idols of money. We need to get rid of the idols that are in our life that, that come between. An idol is anything, anything that comes between us and our relationship with God. We need to get rid of those things. And we do that Privately, We don't do that publicly. It's what we do when nobody's looking that, that really matters. We need to have those values in our life so that we can walk in the fullness of what God's made available to us. Verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet and summoned the Abazites, his people, to follow him. That's the anointing. The anointing came after the sacrifice. He had to place himself in a position where God was able to use him. And as a result of that, God was willing, God was able to use him for his purpose and for his glory. And so that's lesson number seven. 
God's call comes before your repentance. God's power comes after your repentance. Now that may sound a little bit confusing. God's call comes before repentance, before we've turned, before we're doing everything that we need to do. The power comes after. Now understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about repentance. I'm not talking here about, of course, you, you need to be born again. But I'm talking about in our life. We live a life of repentance. Repentance is a one-time activity that we go through in life. We live a life of repentance because every one of us, whether we want to admit it enough, we've got stuff. And God's not necessarily mad about the stuff like we everybody preaches and says that he is. He's not mad about the stuff. He just wants when the stuff is revealed to us that we turn from it. And that's what repentance is. To live a repentant life doesn't mean that I live a perfect life. To live a repentant life means that when I see something in my life that doesn't line up with the Word of God, I make a change. I turn and I choose to follow after Him. When I see that in my life there is something that I put before God, I repent. I turn from that. And I put God back in His proper position as number one. And so God's call comes before repentance. His power, His anointing comes after repentance. God spoke to Gideon. He received the call. The anointing of God came upon him. And Gideon with 300 men destroyed an army of 300 and, or 135,000. That's a ratio of 450 to 1. Now if you're in a fight, that's not very good odds. But they won the battle. What is the anointing? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural work of God in your life that allows you to accomplish unmeasurable beyond what you could ask or imagine. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. The anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life is the power of God that enables you to perform beyond your limitations. Takes off the limitations. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is the power of God in your life that enables you to transcend the level of your own competency. In other words, do more than what you believe you're able to do. It's His power that works in each of our lives. Going back to Ephesians 3.20. Let's put it up on the board. Now let's, let, let's all read it together. Now to Him was able to do immeasurable more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power 
that is at work within us. That's you. That's you. He wants to do more in and through you than what you could imagine, what you could ask, but it's according to his power that's at work within you. And so what's the key? The key isn't me, it's him. It's me allowing him to live big within me. And that's what Gideon did. Gideon, a nobody, that God made a somebody because he was willing to recognize what God wanted to do through him. He didn't believe he could when he began, but he is willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to be the man, the woman that God uses to fulfill his plan, his purpose? Now, you may not be called to win a nation, to deliver a nation. You're probably not. But I tell you this, you are called to be part of a ministry, to be part of a church, to accomplish something for the glory of God, each and every one of us. God never created a single one of us without a, without a plan, without a purpose, without something that he wanted to accomplish through each and every one of our lives. But we have to be willing. I'm willing. Are you willing? Three of you are. We're willing to allow him to move on our lives and accomplish far, far greater what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. We watch the news, we look around us, and we say it's an impossibility. Gideon looked around him, and he said, it's an absolute impossibility. But you know what? It's an interesting thing. God was limited to one man. Every one of us in this room, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life, therefore we have potential. We have potential within us beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. If God could do what he did through Gideon, just imagine, just think. What he could do through a room full of people who are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through their lives. That's what he wants to do through each one of us. And I'm not talking about something big. I'm talking about living our everyday life for the glory of God, recognizing that I am called. Because I'm called, I make the sacrifice. Because I make the sacrifice, I have the anointing to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God today in this place, on this earth. That's us, the people of God. So Father, I thank you today for your word because it's through your word that we receive life, through your word that we receive hope, through your word that we receive direction. Father, it's through your word that we lean upon, that we rely upon, that we know that through it we can do all things as we put our confidence in you. Use us, Father, for your glory. Father, we're tired of the cycle. 
We're tired of allowing the world to dictate to us. We cry out to you. You, for, you, you, you forgive us. We repent. We, we follow after you. And then we go through the whole cycle once again. It's not just Gideon. It's not just the children of Israel. It's the life that we so often live in this world. We don't want it any longer. We want you. And so, Father, we just, I just pray that by the precious Holy Spirit, you would kindle within each and every one of us that fire. That fire that is satisfied by absolutely nothing but you. And as we follow you, we know that you're going to lead us to those places where we can do the greatest good for your people. So have your way in each of our lives, Father, and we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his might, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug.